Second Samuel chapter eight. Thank you, Pastor. The feelings that he expresses toward me are mutual. My life toward him, he has enriched my life. I'm blessed by the friendship that we share. It's been two years since I've been here. I know it. But it's good to see y'all. And there is no place around that's any more fun to preach than right here in this place. And it's always been a delight for me. I'm glad to have my family with me. My kids are growing up on you. My daughter's nine. Jeremy's 14. In a year, he's got a chance to be 15. Potential is there, at least. And my beautiful wife is with me, and that is always a treat for me. Second Samuel chapter 8 and verse number 1. I come to this pulpit tonight with very certain direction. Second Samuel chapter 8 and verse number 1 says this, And after this it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methagama, if that's not how it's pronounced, you don't know any different. David took Methagama out of the hand of the Philistines, verse 2, and he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground. Even with two lines measured he to put to death, and with one full line to keep alive. And you get the picture? He, he whooped these boys, threw them down on the ground, laid them out in three lines. With two lines, he measured to put to death, and with one full line to keep alive. And so, the Bible says, the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. I've come tonight with a real constraint of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'd be, I'd be a little nervous about this if we didn't share a little history of relationship together, but I've been here before, so I'm feeling pretty at ease. I've come tonight to sound a trumpet in this house and tell somebody, probably more than one somebody, this fact, that if you're going to live for God... Some things have to die. There are some things you just have to look at and say, that goes down tonight. Some things have to die. Would you put your hands in the air and your voice lifted and ask God to talk to us tonight? We're going to need the Holy Ghost to order what happens here over the next little bit. Father, I thank you for your word and for these great folks and for the privilege to share it with them. I need a divine unction to preach in the power of your Spirit tonight. I pray, Lord God, that every heart in this place would be open to receive what you're going to say. Let the caution and the warning of the Word of the Lord sound clearly. And let hearts and spirits be yielded. Let every every stiffness of spirit bow tonight before your Word. Let conviction reign in this place, Lord Jesus. Accomplish every work you design. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. God love your heart tonight. Issues of life and death are as serious as it gets. In this world, if you want to lay credence to something, if you want to lend importance to something, you tell someone it's a matter of life and death. Someone's seriously ill, if you find out that a loved one's been in an accident, really all you care about at that moment is one thing. Are they going to live? You're not worried about what scars they may carry from the injury. You're not really concerned about whether or not they even lost a limb at that point. What matters to you is one thing and one thing only. Is that person that I care about going to live or is this fatal? I can think of no question 
that is heavier or harder for a jury or a judge to consider than life or death for a defendant. I know in the abstract, when you read about some heinous crime, it's easy to sit on the outside and say, well, if I was on the jury, I could vote to pull the plug on that critter. But, but you know, it's another thing entirely when you hold that man's life in your hand. It, it's a weighty thing. In the Roman arena, when the gladiators had fought, when one had felled his opponent and the sword was to his neck, his eyes would be cast to the one man that became the focal point of all the thousands that had matched there because he would stand with his thumb either up or down and everything hinged on that one moment. One spelled life and the other spelled death. It's amazing how life and death can hinge on a moment. It's amazing how eternal consequences can sway and swing on just one God moment. It's amazing how one servant can be the point at which a life turns and everything changes. Life and death are weighty things. Well, it is difficult to say, but I must tell you tonight that there are those things in life that just have to die. When you've got weeds in your garden, you don't just kind of say, well, as long as they stay far and away from my, far away enough from my green beans, I'll let them coexist. No, you grab those things and yank them out by the roots. If there is a mouse in my house, I promise you my wife is not interested in peaceful coexistence. My wife doesn't want to talk about, well, if he stays in my room, I'll stay in mine. Honey, she got bazookas and flamethrowers. She said, whatever you got to do, that rascal is dying before the day is done. You got a snake in your basement? You, well, you probably don't have basements down here, but if you had a basement, you got a snake, you don't, you don't go down there and just say, now you mind your business and leave me alone and don't pick on us and don't get in our way and you litter. No, no, no. You take a shovel or a hole and go down there and cut the head off that thing. No negotiation. Don't talk to me about how that snake is healthy for the environment. Don't, don't tell me how it helps eat mice. I'll kill the mice too, but I'm fixing to kill that snake. You know what it is? I've just got something I look at and say, I don't care what you think about it, and I don't care what the PETA folks have to say about it. I'm cutting the head off that rascal because it has invaded my home. You're not hearing me. And when the snake starts meddling around in my home, I'm not going to negotiate, and I'm not going to take prisoners, and I'm not going to let somebody tell me how it's acceptable, and I'm not going to let Hollywood tell me it really won't hurt me. I'm going to arm myself and go down there and say, you don't understand. This is my house, and that is not going to live in my house. We have a president at present, and I'm making no political statement in the pulpit. See me after church, and I'll make a vociferous one. But we have a president right now who has a stated foreign policy that says this. If there are terrorists out there, I'm going after them. I don't care where I find them. He has stated on more than one occasion you can't negotiate with them. You can't reason with them. You can't wish them away. You've got to hunt them down and kill them. It may sound harsh, but he said there's a threat in ignoring those things. There's a threat in leaving them alive. There is a threat to believe in their promise that they won't come mess with us. So he said, I'm going to hunt them down. It is too dangerous to leave those things alive. Well, I've come tonight to preach to you that it's not that much different with our spiritual well-being. If you're going to live for God, some things just have to die. If you're going to make it to heaven, some things just have to die. The possible consequences of not dealing with them are too severe to allow. The potential for damage in my home, the danger to my soul is too great to tolerate their presence. 
it may be harsh and it may be painful and it may get bloody and some people may not understand but I'm going to go to heaven and anything I've got to kill to get there is going to die I'm going to live for God I'm going to make it and if I'm going to then some things have to die Yeah, I'll make this make sense in a few minutes or more than just half of you. David was a man of great military skill. He was a man of war. His hands knew the shape of a sword, and his arms were familiar with the sticky feel of blood as it ran down his forearms. The sounds of battle were not unfamiliar to his ears. He had watched men die beside him, and he had witnessed men fall before him. In fact, so much was this a part of his nature that when he said, I want to build God, a house. God said, you're not going to build me a house. You're a man of war. You're a combatant. You've got too much blood been spilled. You can gather the materials, but your boy will build me the house. He was a military giant. His conquests and victories are numerous in the scriptures and in the chapter of our text. We read a little bit about what David accomplished on the battlefield. In fact, it is recorded first that David subdued the Philistines. This was an amazing conquest the Philistines had mastered the use of iron and they had chariots and swords when others lacked such and so to conquer them was an amazing thing he devoured enemies of Israel and he put them under his feet but in the next verse it is recorded that David smote Moab and conquered them Moab were the descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. You undoubtedly are familiar with the story, most of you that are here at least, of Lot being rescued from the cities of the plain, being instructed to flee to the mountains, insisting that instead he be allowed to go to Zor. And when he got there and the fire fell, his wife was consumed in the inferno of God's wrath in Sodom and Gomorrah. And she was turned, the Bible says, to a pillar of salt. And the very next morning when the sun came up. The Bible says Lot got his two daughters and he went to the mountaintop. It is amazing to me that that's where God told him to go yesterday. God spoke to him the day before and said, get your family to the top of the mountain. And Lot said, I don't want to go there. I want to stay down here. And God said, you can go any place you want to. But isn't it amazing that once God rolled his sleeve up and Lot saw the wrath of God and the power of God, he suddenly said, that mountain climbing stuff, that sounds pretty good to me. But look what it cost him. His wife's slain. His daughter's fallen immorality. Let me just pause a minute and tell you, it is better to heed the mercy of God than to respond to the judgment of God. Well, you better hear what I just said. That was in English. God said, I pulled you out of Sodom. I was being merciful to you. And my mercy pulled you out of that thing. But if you won't separate yourself in response to my mercy, every now and then I'll roll my sleeve up and let you see just what I can do. And you'll get motivated. But I beg of you, you're better to respond to mercy than to the man that God showed you his power. Because they get to the top of that mountain and the girls make their daddy drunk and they have improper and moral relations with him and children are born of these. The first of those is Moab. And that nation became a 
a thorn in the side of God's people for centuries. They became a people that plagued Israel down through the years. They were especially cruel to them during their wandering in the wilderness. They were particularly cruel and malicious and, and tricky and deceptive when Israel was coming by their way. And they lay in wait for them and jumped upon them at an inopportune moment. And so it is that centuries later, when David conquers them, the Bible says he lined them up, threw them down on the ground, and measured them out into three long lines laying there. That had to be quite a sight. As you looked and saw God's enemies laying helpless at the feet of David, and David with a sword in his hand, and he laid them all out there in three long lines, and he said, this line, they all live, but these other two, they all die. Now, I cannot tell you what criteria was used to separate the one from the other. Some have speculated that age fell into it, or perhaps gender, or maybe strength or intellect. Maybe it was purely random. I cannot tell you, but I can tell you this, that whatever the case was, David walked through there saying, Israel, that's got to die, and that's got to die, and that's got to die, and that's got to die. And don't tell me there wasn't somebody that stood up and said, wait just a minute, David. That's cruel. That's vicious. That's kind of brutal. Why are you being so hard on it? And I see David look back at him and say, you don't understand Moab like I know Moab. If I don't kill it now, tomorrow it might rise up and grow into something I can't handle. I felt that right then. If I don't kill that thing while I've got a chance, it may get so big I can't deal with it. If I don't kill it now, it may get back up and arm itself and jump on my family some night when I don't expect If I don't kill that thing in this service, there may come a day that it rises up, jumps on my children, jumps on my marriage, and so while I've got it down, I'm going to put a sword to its throat and kill that thing tonight once and for all. It's going to be over. Some things have to die. I am feeling this right now. I don't even mind to back up and tell you. I preach this to my church, and I preach it with passion, but I feel something so strong tonight that somebody better hear me. You just have to kill something. My message to you tonight is that there are some things you can't play with. You can't tolerate them. You can't coddle them. You can't handle them. You just have to kill them. you got to walk through your life. I'm preaching in the Holy Ghost right now to somebody. you got to walk through your life tonight and say, this dies tonight. That habit dies tonight. That spirit dies in this service. That bitterness dies tonight. That jealousy dies tonight. That that gossip dies tonight. That addiction dies tonight. That fornication dies tonight. That vice dies tonight. It will never see another sunrise. Mm. Pastor's not going to have to preach about it again. Pastor's not going to have to drag me to the altar again. Because it's time. It's at my feet. It is subdued. And I'm going to kill it. I've separated out the good from the bad. I've labeled the unrighteous and the righteous. I've separated the acceptable and the unacceptable. And everybody may not like it. And some folks may not agree with me. And some churches may not. But you hear me. This is my family on the line. And this is my soul in the balance. And so I'm going to kill everything that is unlike him must die. 
That's why the writer of Colossians said, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Did you hear what he said? He said, Mortify those things. Kill them. Don't pat them on the head. Don't try to... Don't try to read 17 books that will get you out of the valley. Don't demand 14 counseling sessions and three self-help groups. No. He said, just put the sword of the Spirit to the neck of that thing and kill it. You're not hearing me. You can't play around with fornication. Kill it. You can't tolerate uncleanness. Kill it. You can't tolerate unclean thoughts. Kill them. You can't tolerate unclean spirits. Kill them. Oh, I wish somebody would hear me. you got to look at that thing and say, Lush, you're not going to live in me. You're going to die tonight. Wickedness, you're not going home with me. I'm going to drag you to the altar and kill you tonight. Anger, you're not getting back in my car. Wickedness, you're not going back in my home. Uncleanness, you're not going back with my family. You have to die. You have to die. You have to I don't care how much you beg. I don't care if other people do it. I don't care if Hollywood screams it. I don't care what society says. I'm not in this world. I am in this world, but not of it. And therefore, I don't balance my decision based on this world. I don't care if others let you live. You're going to die. I hope you hear what I'm telling you. I don't care how much feet, how much you beg. You're going to die. I don't care if other people let you live. You're going to die. Oh, here we go. I don't care if people in other churches let you live. My pastor says you're on the wrong line. You're going to die. I don't care if other people wear you. You're going to die. I don't care if other people listen to you. You're going to die. I don't care if other people watch you. You're going to die. I don't care if other people keep you in their bedroom. You're going to die. I don't care if other people have you in their living room. You're going to die because you're in the... The line has been drawn and you're on the wrong side of it. This is a matter of life and death. You listen to what the scripture says. You say, man, why are you sweating your suit up like that? Because of this verse of scripture. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. It's a matter of life and death, honey. You know what that tells me? I'm going to say this just as plain as I can say it. Here's what the Holy Ghost constrains me to tell you. Either you're going to kill it or it's going to kill you. There is no in-between. If you live after the flesh, you're going to die. If you mortify the deeds of the body, you're going to live. But either you're going to kill it, or it's going to kill you. I will have you know when you speak me anything you want. It doesn't much matter right now. But in your pastor's office, when I was there by myself before service, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, Tell him that I'm some folks under the sound of my voice. And if the Lord shows me who it is, I will not embarrass you, but I'm nowhere to preach. But right now, I'll just tell you what God said. There are those under the sound of my voice that are harboring things that unless you kill it tonight, it's going to rise up and kill you. Somebody's got to get militant and say, get this straight, devil. It's either you or me. It's either you or your addiction. It's either you or your habit. 
It's either you or your pornography. It's either you or your infidelity. One of you is going down and one of you is going up. I'm calling on this church to face it down and say, oh no, not me, not my marriage, not my children, not my home, not my soul. You're going to die. You better hear what I've got to say to you tonight. It is so much better to kill that thing while it is easily handled. If I were to ask you tonight, I doubt if there's anybody in this place that can answer this question. Who were Ammon, Sheshai, and Talmai? Your pastor, one of the mightiest men in the Word of God I know. But unless he read this recently, those are three names that get past you. Who were Ammon, Sheshai, and Talmai? Insignificant little names. So few even remember who they were. And yet it was these three more than anybody else that caused Israel to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. These three were responsible for the death of perhaps one million Hebrews. They were, you see, the three sons of Anak. And they were the ones to whom the spies referred when they said, we can't take the land from them. I'll read you in the book, Numbers 13, 33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came from the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Those three boys, they lived in Hebron, a little town there in the mountains. There were only three of them. Now get this straight, y'all. Listen to me carefully. They might have been big, but there was only three of them. Here in a minute. You can sit or stand. I don't care. I don't need to play by play instructions. They were big, I'll grant you. But there were only three of the ugly rascals. In fact, 40 years later, one 80 year old dude whips all three of them. Because in Judges 1.20 it says, And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. One 80-year-old man walked in and looked in three big gorillas and said, You don't scare me. Take you down. You want some of this? Papa Jerotol, here we go. 80-year-old man went to all three of them. He chased them out of the city that had been given to him. But you better hear what I've got to preach to you because that is not the end of the story. For even though they had been removed from their city, something startling happened in the 40 years that Israel wandered. For you see, when they went in and looked at them, there were only three. If Israel had dealt with them then, it wouldn't have been a big deal. They could have knocked those three boys down and cut their heads off. But please look at the testimony one generation later. In Joshua 11 and 21, it says, And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains and from Hebron and from Geba and from Anab and from all the mountains of Judah and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was only three of them a generation ago. But because somebody said, I don't want to deal with them, I don't want to kill them, then 40 years later they grew up until they were an entire nation that spread over every mountain and spread into other cities. 
things. I want you to hear me. Yes, Joshua whipped them, but now it wasn't such a small thing. Now it was formidable and expensive, and it was dangerous. If only they had dealt with them when they had the chance, they would have fallen easily. But I have to wonder, yes, Joshua killed them. Yes, they saw victory, but I wonder how many men fell needlessly in battle. I wonder how many mamas buried boys that they wouldn't have had to kill. I wonder how many children were orphans, and it didn't have to be that way if they just had guts enough to deal with it when they had the chance. I cannot answer the question of how many fell. I can only tell you that the pattern still holds true. How many homes have fallen victim over something that could have been dealt with so easily? How many children have become spiritual orphans because mama and daddy wouldn't kill something when they had the chance? How many parents have lost children to the world? How many teenagers have backslid? All because somewhere on a night just like this, daddy didn't have enough guts to get in the altar and fight for his family. How many souls will go to hell over something that might have been so easily remedied? I can't tell you the answer. I can only tell you that this is the day of salvation. And now is the accepted time. And you better heed this message tonight. You better kill that thing while you can. Don't wait until it gets any bigger. Don't wait until it's grown up any larger. It's already got a bigger grip on you than you think it has. It's among the greatest of lies to say, I can handle it. I can control it. I can manage it. You're lying to yourself. I didn't come here for a popularity contest. I came to snatch somebody out of hell tonight. I came to rescue somebody's family. You say, my family's not in danger. Not tonight, but five years from now. If you don't kill that thing, your babies, your children, your kids are going to have to fight something bigger than they ever thought they'd have to fight because you wouldn't deal with it when you could. Oh, you better hear. Here a few years ago, I read the story. read the story about those... That silly family that kept that boa constrictor as a pet. Who wants a pet boa constrictor? It was just a little thing. Now, snakes don't really give me the willies. You want to see one? I'm kidding. It's just, it's, snakes don't really bother me. I, they don't scare me much. I, I don't, you know, I don't just keep them around the house, but they don't really scare me. My eighth grade science teacher, we all heard how crazy he was. He walked in the room the first day for my eighth grade science class with a boa constrictor wrapped around his neck. He had very little trouble from us that year. <laughs> But I held it. It didn't scare me. But these people got one of those little bullets. It's about that big. Just at little hamburger balls, you know. The only problem is, see, it, it, it was nothing. They could kill it any time they wanted to. Any member of the family could have picked that thing up by the tail and just slapped its head on the table and killed it any time. It wasn't, it wasn't a challenge. It wasn't dangerous. It was just a little thing. But see, the problem is it didn't stay a little thing because they fed that appetite. And they fed that desire. And they fed that habit. Little by little, they threw it little crumbs of nourishment. First thing you know, it got bigger and bigger. And then it was draping off both sides. And, and, and then it got longer and longer. And somewhere along the line, you would have thought something would have caught their attention and said, well, get rid of it. It's getting dangerous. But see, they had had it for so long, it just kind of became commonplace. It had been part of their home for so long, they didn't really see anything wrong with it. And yeah, I know pastor preaches against it, but it hadn't hurt us yet. And look, we've had it since it was little. And it's kind of grown a them to us and it won't hurt us now while we're friends you see we get along just fine and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and I cannot even imagine the horror that must have filled that home that day when mama noticed that her baby was awfully quiet 
walked into that nursery to find that now eight and a half foot boa constrictor curled up in that baby's crib with the agonizing and horror of that lump in its body that testified to their willful ignorance. You know what happened? Daddy ran and got a knife and he hacked that head off that thing. He did what he should have done a long time ago. But look what it cost him. He had to bury his baby because he would not kill it when he could. And that's the nature of such threats. You better hear me. They grow. The three sons of Anak, they become the people of the Anakims. You're not hearing me right now. A little fantasy becomes fornication. And a little flirtation of the job becomes an extramarital affair. And a little anger becomes bitterness. And a little rebellion becomes destruction. And a little drink becomes alcoholism. You better hear this preacher right now. You better kill that thing, David. You had it right. Don't let it get up one more time. Don't pick it up again. You got it down, David. Take your sword and kill it. Don't give that thing a chance to kill your children. Don't give that thing a chance to kill your family. Oh, I need an intercessor in the house right now. Don't you deceive yourself. It will sin. Nature is 